This is the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for hockey talk on every team in the NHL. Welcome to the Hockey Hotbed, presented as always by the Hockey Podcast Network. I'm your host, Nick Berlansky, and I said at the beginning of 2022 that my resolution was to bring on more guests, and we're starting off the right way. A double-decker, two guests at once. First, we have Shane Ryan of the Sens Hour. He covers the Ottawa Senators here on the Hockey Podcast Network. Shane, how's it going today, buddy? It's going great. Thank you for having me back on. I know we... We talked before the season, so it's been a while, but I'm, I'm super pumped to be back. And also, we have on Neil Villapiano of the Devil's State of Mind podcast covering the New Jersey Devils for the Hockey Podcast Network. Neil, how's it going today? Uh, other than the news we got earlier today with the Devils, uh, I'm doing very, very well, Nick. Uh, like, like Shane said, I'm just excited to be back on. Uh, I think also, same thing with me. I think the last time... I was on here was like before the season or like just a couple of games in talking about um, the Devils, but uh, always exciting to talk to you guys and uh, just talk some hockey. Well, we will talk everything hockey and we're going to have topics from across the National Hockey League. We'll touch on each of your teams as well, but we initially scheduled this talk to discuss the World Juniors. Well, that's not going to happen really all that much, but we still got to talk about it a little bit. And since it's been canceled due to covid I just wanted to ask, what were your main takeaways from the little we did get to see of the World Juniors this year? We'll start with Neil. That Connor Bedard is going to be a major superstar in the NHL when he get when he's draft eligible. I mean, when I saw him play and score and get the and get that four goal game and just seeing the amount of speed, skill, just the whole package that he has, I, I just sat there and I said, whoever's getting that kid is going to be able to build something very special around him. And I think that for somebody as young as he is to of just, you know, basically, you know, a lot of people were kind of concerned, like, is he too young to be playing in world juniors? You know, what, what was the situation with that? He came in and looked like he was a seasoned veteran, basically like he had been there before and he just shrugged off playing against older players. Like it was nothing. And I think that if he keeps getting those opportunities, it's only going to help with his development as he gets older. And when he gets the opportunity to play in the NHL. So really for me, Connor Bedard was the guy that stood out the most in just a four in the, uh, in the short time. But the other guy that stood out to me is quite frankly, because of his name, Ivan, Ivan, Ivan is without a doubt one of the greatest hockey names I think I've ever heard. It's actually just Ivan Ivan. TSN messed up. He plays out in the Quebec League, I think, with Cape Breton. It's just Ivan Ivan. Oh, it's just Ivan Ivan. Okay, so that's clearly a meme. Yeah, yeah, at least according to Cape Breton, it's just Ivan Ivan. It's just TSN messed up. I don't buy it. I think, I think he actually – I think his middle name actually is Ivan. I think they're just – I think they tried to sneak that in there, and I think then he probably told TSN, eh, I don't want people to know that it's Ivan, 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 but uh, too late, I guess. Yeah, I mean, the the World Juniors were, for the short time being, it looked like it was going to be another good tournament. Um, it, it honestly looked like it was going to be USA, Canada again in the gold medal game. 
but I will say that my my biggest takeaway, Owen Power and Jake Sanderson are both going to come into the NHL probably at the end of this season, early next season, and they're going to be the two most talked about defensemen for the next 10 years. These guys are going to be on the Doughty Headman comparable train for Mm -hmm. their entire career, and it's going to be so much fun to watch. Hopefully Buffalo doesn't mess up Power, Ottawa doesn't mess up Sanderson, because these two guys look like legitimate NHL caliber defensemen, and both of them should represent their respective teams at the Olympics come February. I think the one thing we definitely saw was Michigan Madness was running early in World Juniors. I mean, Kent Johnson was looking really good as well. Owen Power, you mentioned there. And then Matty Beneers, I thought, had a, a couple of good outings as well for Team USA. So Michigan definitely had a good showing in the, in the short amount of time that they had there. But we talked before the show, I like Matvey Michkov. I mean, he's 2023 draft eligible. The same draft as Connor Bedard. Uh, Shane, you mentioned the fact that his contract with Scott St. Petersburg is a little bit of a complication there, that he's going to be under contract for about two years after he's draft eligible. But, I mean, altogether, I think what we saw of it, it would have been a really fun tournament to watch play out. And unfortunately, because of COVID, we weren't able to. Maybe we'll get to see these guys play in the Olympics, which would be an an honor and honestly would be amazing to see. But I do want to ask this hypothetical who do you believe would have won if this tournament was completed based on the small sample size you saw? It doesn't have to be the in-depth analysis, but who do you think would have won this? Do you want me to go first or do you want Shane to answer that question? Shane, you can go first. I didn't... Shane can go first. So, uh, bias, I think it's going to be Canada. Um, <laughs> but honestly, I, I watched the U.S. games and I just wasn't sold on their, their depth top to bottom. I just, you yeah. match the two teams I up, I think physicality-wise, yeah. Canada's the edge, you know, overall yeah. scoring-wise. Canada has the edge. The only thing that I think USA had arguably would have been goaltending. But overall, I think Canada was just a better overall team than the US. But I mean, it's a one-game tournament. It's a one-game gold medal, so anything can happen. But overall, I think Canada was the best team in that tournament. For me, honestly, and I mean, obviously, you know, biased reasons, I would have gone with the United States. I do agree, though, with a lot of what Shane was saying is that I feel like the, the thing with Team USA is that they have a lot of players that were very, very – Let's put it this way. They were very thin. They don't have a lot of uh, meat on the bones, so to speak. I mean, uh, you look at Team Canada, they look like a team that, you know, if you put them even on an Olympic ice, they would have a lot of success because they look like they're a little bit more matured and everything like that. But I'll give you guys a curveball. I actually think Sweden was going to end up winning the World Juniors. And the reason that I say that is because you look at the talent that they have. You have guys like Alexander Holtz who plays, who who really was one of the veteran guys on that team and was really getting off to a hot start. And then you have Jesper Wallstad, who was arguably the best goaltender in the entire in the entire um, World Juniors for the short period of time. He made like, what, 50 saves in a game at one point in one of the three games that Sweden played. That looked like a team that was going to create a lot of problems, especially when we got into the elimination round. So for me, I would have gone with Sweden. Then probably after that, I would have put um, Canada. Just because, and Shane brought this up, Owen Power is going to be a stud in the National Hockey League, regardless of where he plays, whether it's Buffalo, whether it's somebody else, regardless. He's going to be a stud. He already looks like he has the body to compete in the National Hockey League, and he definitely brings um, his last name. He brings the power. He's a very physical player, can do a lot of different things. Definitely reminds me a lot of Victor Hedman. Um, Jake Sanderson was also very, very much uh, a guy that stood out to me um, 100%, but I would definitely say, Probably Sweden, then probably Canada. 
See, I can't do Sweden because of their track record. Like, I just, I have no faith That's fair. in them. Like, cool, you can have a great, great round robin. Go, go, go undefeated in the round robin. I don't care. Can they perform under pressure? And I just don't think they could. I'm, I'm not sure. They haven't done it in the past. Know. Yeah, they haven't done it in the past. I don't know if this group of players could have done it. Obviously, Wallstead was looking like a top-end goaltender, like, you know, a lot of people thought he should be. You know, mm-hmm. he wasn't Askarov, who I think a lot of people think that Askarov's going to turn into a bust because of how he's played the last two World Juniors, but I don't agree with that. I don't like the whole, you know, if they have a bad World Juniors, they're going to be a bust concept, but I, I don't know. Sweden's one of those outliers where you're like, should they struggle? Like, if they struggled in the in the round robin, I'd be more concerned. Mm-hmm. Ooh. Yeah, when I looked at this tournament selfishly as well, I was like, okay, Team USA, they can find a way. Listen, if they beat that Team Canada last year, they can win this year. But then I look at Team Canada and I said, okay, the 2021 through 2023 first overall picks are all on that team. Yeah, it's going to be hard to go against them. It's going to be hard to go against them. Yeah. I mean, I think also last year's USA team was better equipped than Canada's team, especially mm. defensive-wise. I think having guys like Cam York on like back on that defense and like Trevor, Trevor Zegers, who yep. was phenomenal. Like that USA team, in my opinion, was better than the Canada team from last season. Ooh. This year though, I think, I think this is my, my issue with hockey, like the world juniors and especially for the North American teams is that mm-hmm. it's such a revolving door because right. it's usually like a 19 year old tournament. You know, most of the USA's top players and Canada's top players are usually in the NHL. You know, very few of them. If you're a top 10 pick, nine times out of 10, you're in the NHL playing regularly. So you're not at this right. tournament. I think this was one of those years where the USA was actually in a better situation than they have been previously because you had veneers who and veneers who was going back to school. You had these guys who, you know, were drafted in 2021 and could have made the jump to the NHL. And they didn't because they wanted their, you know, full school experience and whatnot. I think this put this USA in a better situation than they have in years past. Either way, it is a shame that the the tournament couldn't go as as scheduled. But as with many things in the landscape of 2022, COVID has shut it down. But let's move over to the NHL. And really a fun question about the entirety of the league thus far. I mean, who has been the biggest surprise this season in the NHL to you guys? I'll start with Neil on this one. As much as it hurts for me to say, because me being a Devils fan, I would definitely have to say the New York Rangers. I think that a lot of us didn't expect them to be as good as they've been uh, this year. And their underlying numbers are definitely a concern. Uh, it, It is kind of astonishing how they've been able to win some of the games with the way that they honestly play the game. They definitely... Uh, take a lot of chances, take a lot of risks, but so far throughout the you know thirty plus games they played, it's kind of worked out. Uh, but but definitely the Rangers with everything that they've done, especially how last season ended with all that chaos with the Tom Wilson you know fights and everything like that, and then James Dolan just eradicating the entire front office, and then just kind of all they did was just add in some new guys, and it it seems to have worked. I was critical of making moves for guys like. Ryan Reeves and Barkley Goodrow, but in a way they've, they've worked out pretty well. Um, and to me, I think you're starting to see Shesterkin really become one of those guys. That's going to be a top five, certainly top 10 goaltender in the league for years to come. But, you know, if you look at it right now, um, 
The Rangers have probably been the team that still, to me, is the most surprising considering how well they've consistently played, even with a guy like Panarin out of the lineup. Mm-hmm. Shane? Yeah, I mean, I I don't agree. I feel like New York had all this expectation. They went out, signed, you know, Panarin to that big contract. They then signed Zibanejad this offseason. They didn't move Kreider. They, they should have been competitive. You know, you have Adam Fox, you have Jacob Truba, those guys, Lindgren, have kind of performed well. It would have been an underperformance if they weren't sitting top three at this point of the year in the Metro division. My surprise, though, is Anaheim. Mm. You know, yeah. they have kind of taken over everything. I believe they're sitting at second in the Pacific, uh, like 41 points. The, you know, Zegers has kind of taken control of that team. A lot of their young players... I think Troy Terry had like an 18 game point streak early in the year. Gibbons is looking like a, a the the caliber goaltender that everyone thought he was a couple of years ago. Their defense is looking good. I think Anaheim's the the most shocking team. I think Detroit's also an honorable mention with how they've performed. But yeah, I think Anaheim like unless they have a series of injuries or they just collapse, Cody Eakin deserves a lot of credit with that team. Mm. Also, I think it's I think it's fair to say this as well. It's about time that number one, people started to give John Gibson his his due. Like I feel like for a long time, people have have said like, oh yeah, he's a good goaltender, but he's you know he's playing in Anaheim, blah blah. Now that Anaheim's starting to become actually good and their talent is really starting to take shape, John Gibson. Now we're looking at him and saying, oh wow, he's playing tremendous. And I remember early in the season. Um, ESPN was talking about, you know, oh, is John Gibson going to be one of those major players that's going to be moved at the deadline? Well, if anything, Anaheim's going to be a team that's going to be buying if they keep playing this way. They're certainly going to look, try to upgrade. And I think John Gibson um, feels very comfortable being in Anaheim. I think he sees where this team is going and he's getting goal support, which is absolutely massive. And I, and I can definitely see where Shane is coming from with picking Anaheim because, again, definitely more than with the Rangers – Nobody really expected Anaheim to be this good. A lot of people expect them to be one of the the one of the bottom tier teams in the Pacific Division, um, but they have been really good. Calgary certainly kind of threw me for a loop a little bit, just because like they do have a lot of talent, but we've seen in years past over this whole era that it just doesn't work for whatever reasons, whether it's coaching or anything like that. They they can't seem to get over the hump. Um, they've dealt with some COVID problems, unfortunately, but they're still playing relatively well. And they're a team that definitely, I think, can is going to make the playoffs and could be a you know a team that could really make some noise once they get into the postseason. So that would be probably like an honorable mention for me would be Calgary. Mm-hmm. I certainly agree with everything that you guys have said. I have Anaheim down here as my biggest surprise. I agree with Shane in that aspect. Not only because, yeah, John Gibson finally having his best year since 2018-19 when he actually was in the top 10 in Vezina voting. But you look at this team when it comes to scoring goals. I mean, Troy Terry already having a great year. Trevor Zegras having a good year. Sonny Milano, a lot of people forget he's the one that actually scored the goal on the, uh, what is it, the Dishigan is what people are calling it. But what I look at, I've heard it a couple times called the Dishigan. But uh, what I like to see... I heard that on 32 Thoughts, the podcast, so I'm not going to take credit for that. But uh, no, when it comes to actually scoring, last season they finished 30th. The year prior to that, they finished 29th. I'm not going to say they're top 10. They're 15th right now. That is a huge bump in goal scoring, and that is part of the reason why they're in second place and part of the reason why I'm so surprised because I didn't know who was going to score goals. I mean, they're a young team, but they've gone out there and they have impressed me 
to this point this season to see them in January playing as a second place team in the Pacific. I wasn't ready for it. Nope. Yeah. And I mean, they still have work cut out to be on the defense. Like they're only sitting at a plus nine goal differential, um, you know, but they're, they're being really good at home. You know, mm-hmm. they're, they're 10, four and four at home versus seven, three, seven, seven and three on the road. So their home mm-hmm. record is great. I feel like this, this team reminds me a lot of, uh, I want to say Winnipeg, in the 2018-19 the season where they had a ridiculously good home record but were garbage at, on the road. And when they yeah. went to the playoffs, they struggled mightily on the road. And I just hope that for Anaheim, that's not going to be the case, that they can get their – they're a young team, so obviously the matchups aren't in their favor on the road. But if they can get out of this uh, or work on this road issue, uh, they'll be a dominant team. And, they, you know, you add in Mason McTavish, who's back in Peterborough, when he's actually a full-time NHLer, Anaheim has done this retool pretty well. And I think they made the right move to not uh, go further along with trying to make a move for Jack Eichel. I know that they were rumored for the longest time to be in the running to acquire Jack Eichel. And I think that because of what Buffalo was asking, now granted Buffalo didn't get, you know, exactly what they were looking for and any, you know, in the deal that they eventually got from Buffalo. But I think that the Anaheim Ducks were smart enough to not, you know, jump in and be like, oh, we'll give you everything for Jack Eichel. No, I think that they made the right choice to back off and it's worked out in spades. And everybody's talking about, you know, Zegris and and everything that he's done. But I I think the main cog of this machine, at least offensively this year so far, has been Troy Terry. I think he really, really has evolved into a top six talent. I mean, that point streak that he had, what was it, like 18, 19 games, something Mm -hmm. like that? It It was unbelievable. Unbelievable the type of the numbers he's been putting up and um, I really, really enjoy watching him play hockey. And I think just overall the ducks have done a really good job of building that team, being patient and uh, you know, making moves when they had to. And I think now we're finally starting to see all that take shape. Moving from biggest surprise to the best story, because stories can come in any shape and size to me, the best story of the season has been the Vancouver Canucks. And that is an incomplete story as of right now, but seeing the turnaround from December 6th when Jim Benning and Travis Green was fired to where they're at now, 9-0-1 since then, played themselves into having some semblance of hope. That's the best story to me. We'll start with Shane on here. What is your best story so far in the NHL season? See, my my best story, I mean, yeah, so far, I mean, if you're going to talk about the last like month and a half, Vancouver being, I think, undefeated under, under Bruce Boudreau. We're only one loss under him now. But for me, it, it has to be Nashville, honestly. They're, they're sitting ninth in the league. UC Zaros has taken control. They're now David Riddick has been a solid backup for him. But I know there was a lot of talk, you know, Duchesne and Johansson, were, were they going to, you know, be able to refine themselves? They traded Ryan Ellis, which I still don't agree with, but that's besides the point. But, and then you lost, you know, Pekka Rina, your, your voice, you know, the icon of that franchise between, you know, Leguan and, and, uh, Weber leaving, he was the face of the franchise. Everyone knew who he was. So for Nashville, being able to do that and the players within Nashville, like Duchesne and Johansson, who have been able to find their groove, it's nice to see. Like having a competitive Nashville team in that central with St. Louis and you know Colorado, it makes good storylines. And I was worried that they were going to regress with with how everything was going. And honestly, I'm that's been my story of the year so far. Neil, who do you have for your best story or, or what do you have as your best story? Yeah, no, my, my, my best story 
would probably have to be the Minnesota Wild. I think that when you look at the Wild, and, and it really kind of starts when you go back to how they performed in the bubble. I think they showed that they were definitely moving in the right direction to being a competitive team. And now you look at where they are. And granted, they, for one period of the Winter Classic, got the doors blown off them. And that's not good. That, that they, you know, But that happens in every Winter Classic. How many outdoor games have we seen where it's just – there's one bad period in what usually has been a pretty competitive game. It happens quite often. And that was just the case in this one, but they were still able to make it relatively competitive in the third period. Um, But Minnesota with a lot of the moves that Billy Guerin has made since he took over has been tremendous. He has really just created so much depth as well in their farm system. I mean, they just brought up Marco Rossi today and Mm -hmm. we look at Marco Rossi. What a crazy last year and a half for Marco Rossi, right? Like a guy that was drafted in the top 10 who almost died basically because of COVID and was able to come back. And now he's been playing really well down the minors. Now is finally getting an opportunity to play up in the, in the NHL. And I think it's tremendous. And then you look at the goaltending and yeah, you know, Cam Talbot has struggled a little bit of late, but he's actually been really, really solid. Kapo Kakinen, I really, really like, and I think that if he develops more, he could be a number one goaltender, especially for a team like Minnesota. I think also for them to finally get off the contracts of Suter and also Zach Parise kind of got somewhat of a monkey off their back kind of thing where it was just like, okay, now we can kind of move forward with it. And I think when you look at it, they have a relatively balanced team. Kirill the Thrill Kaprizov has been as advertised. Um, You know, Kevin Fiala, although has kind of struggled a little bit this year, is still a very, very dangerous top six player. Joel Eriksson-Eck when he's healthy. Jared Spurgeon's still there. There's a lot to like with Minnesota. A team that if they can really get fully healthy and everything starts clicking like it was a little bit earlier in the year, even though they've still been playing relatively well, That's a team that I think could certainly compete to win a division title and be a major factor once the playoffs start. So for me, the, the, that the the team that stands out to most is the Minnesota wild. Well, we've had a lot of fun already and we're going to have a little bit more fun, but first we're going to pay some bills. We're going to cut to a commercial break. When we come back a little bit more hockey talk with Neil and Shane, we'll be right back. Hockey fans, DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL, has a no-brainer offer that'll make you a winner once any shot gets past the goalie. New customers can bet just $1 on any NHL game and win $100 in free bets if either team scores a goal. The NHL got rid of ties back in 2005, so you know someone's going to light the lamp. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, no worries. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Hockey Contests. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code THPN, throw down $1 on any NHL game, and win $100 in free bets if either team scores a goal. That's promo code THPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook an official sports betting partner of the NHL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER.
Welcome back to the Hockey Hotbed, presented as always by the Hockey Podcast Network, as well as DraftKings. Make sure you use promo code THPN at the DraftKings Sportsbook app for great odds and opportunities. I'm host Nick Berlansky, and I am still joined here by Neil and Shane, who have been gracious enough to give me their time to kind of break down the best storylines in the National Hockey League. We talked a little World Juniors earlier in this show, and now I think it's time to focus in on the cream of the crop, the bread and butter of these two. Let's talk a little bit about the New Jersey Devils and the Ottawa Senators. Now, Neil, I know it's been a rough go of things for the Devils, especially today, a couple of bad news. So I'm not going to hammer you home with those. I know you got to talk about it a lot. I know it's not great. So let's have a little bit of fun here and a little bit of conversation, some debate. Which player would you rather have? And I'll ask Shane the same question. Which player would you rather have? Dawson Mercer or Tim Stutzla? Oh, God, oh, you're going to put me Oh, you, no, you, oh, my God. All right, well. Oh, uh, come on, Neil. I know, uh, I know. Yeah, yeah, all right. I, I knew, yeah, you know, you know, Nick, Nick has watched enough of myself and Shane to know that when both of us are in a, in a podcast episode together, that something is going to, is going to snap. And, you know, everybody just enjoys this. So. And they didn't uh, realize it was going to be so soon, too. I know. And the thing is, the problem is that Stutzler's in his second year. You know what I mean? And like, he's had, he's had a pretty decent season, probably not to the same level that he had last year. Um, Dawson Mercer, honestly, has been a guy that the Devils have been lacking for quite some time when it comes to just, you know, speed, skill, you know, scoring, you know, potential and things like that. He's a guy that can definitely be a game changer. And, and here's the thing about Dawson Mercer. Mercer was... The other first-round pick, one of the three that we had in the first round uh, back in 2020, and the pick that we got for Taylor Hall. So really, we got Dawson Mercer for Taylor Hall, and I think that kind of worked out. Um, it certainly worked out in the Devils' favor, and he's a guy that uh, has an entire area of Canada cheering for him. I mean, and that, I think that just speaks for itself, just how popular he is and everything like that. And he's really starting to come into his own. He looks like a guy that's been here for forever and so for me as much as I love Tim Stutzla and look I wanted the Devils to get the opportunity to draft him when when we went back to the when we go back to the 2020 draft but for me it's it's heads down it's Dawson Mercer yeah see it's hard um because I love Dawson Mercer I think he's a great player uh a few times Shane and I agree on a player we like yeah we both like, like him so when Ottawa had the Islanders pick from the Peugeot trade I had three tiers of like three tiers of potential outcomes. You know, if you know where would that Islanders pick land would depend on who I was looking at for where I think he would fit. Dawson Mercer was a guy that I always wanted Ottawa to draft. If Ottawa had, you know, that pick within 10 through like 16. Yeah. That's where I was like, okay, if Dawson Mercer is available within this, this range, we should pick him. He'll fit this team perfectly. I really like him. Auto, the Islanders went on that improbable run that no one was expecting. We got 28th and we picked Ridley Gregg. We also got Jake Sanderson and Tim Slitza from that draft. I'm not upset. The thing with Dawson Mercer is that he's basically a draft class later than he should have been. It's the same thing with Brady Kachuk versus Jesper Kokkaniemi. Cock- like, mm-hmm. uh, Tim Slitza will turn 20 later this like in like a week. Dawson Mercer will turn 21 in October. You know, if he's born like a month and a half later, 
or a month and a half earlier, he's in the 2019 draft. Mm-hmm. Tim Stutzler is a raw talent. Uh, I compared him a lot to what Nathan McKinnon was when he was drafted in Colorado, where he wasn't going to bloom right away. There was that development curve. And then by like year four or five, he kind of exploded. Mm-hmm. Tim Stutzla is also playing with players who do not fit the qual like the skill quality that he needs to play with. Like he's a pass first guy. Tim Stutzla is a pass first player. He is a setup man. He can shoot, but he definitely has more of a playmaker style. He's playing with Nick Paul and Connor Brown for most of the year. And if he wasn't playing with those two, he was playing with like Chris Tierney and Tyler. <laughs> um, none of those four outside of Connor Brown, who has had multiple 20 goal seasons, three of those guys, not much of scores anymore. Um, so it's kind of hard in the long run though. I'm taking Timmy stew any day of the week. I think longevity, he's going to have a better career. Dawson Mercer though, is going to be one hell of a player. Like, don't get that. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a wrecking force for New Jersey mm-hmm. with that core for the foreseeable future. But Tim Slitzla is a guy that, like, you watch him play and you see the flashes and you're like, you put him with a guy who can actually finish, yeah. he'll rack the points. Like, he had a pretty decent rookie season and, like, a full 82 games because uh, he barely, he, you know, 56 games, he put up, like, 30-some points. 79 games. He played 79 games out of Ottawa's 82 during the 21 uh, calendar year. He had like 45 mm-hmm. points, which is pretty decent for a rookie season. Yeah, when I look at these two, there's obviously a reason I put them in the same question. is because they are both very good young talents. And when I look at them, I see Dawson Mercer as a really talented top six forward. But I see Tim Stutzla as a guy that is just, he's going to be the guy. In my opinion, like I see he he has more potential to be the man. I think Dawson Mercer w- with Alexander Holtz and with like a Jack Hughes and a Nico Hishier right above him. I think he's going to fit in perfectly in that that role sort of where I mean, I'm, I'll bring this back to Pittsburgh sort of where like a Brian Rust is or Jake Gensel is, which I think if, if you hear that, Neil, I think you would be like, yeah, I'm OK if he becomes a point per game player that doesn't get respected. So at the same time, I, I do think if I had to take one of them, I would probably bite down on my tongue, be really upset that I could only pick one and take Tim Stutzla. And I honestly, I can't really argue with with either one of you guys at all because Dawson Mercer was not brought here to New Jersey to be the man because we already have the man and his name is Jack Hughes. I mean, that is just it's point it's point blank cut and dry. Jack Hughes is is the guy, you know. And if you want to go a step further, Alexander Holtz was drafted to be that guy, the goal scorer, the guy that we look to. For constant ability. Dawson Mercer is a guy that's on your top six that can do a little bit of everything, that can set guys up. Very similar, um, Shane, to Tim Stutzla is that Dawson Mercer is a pass-first guy. He has tremendous playmaking ability. He focuses way more on getting guys the puck and setting them up. I feel like Jack Hughes is starting to get out of that habit a little bit because Jack Hughes will do a lot of, you know, trying to set everybody else up, but he's playing at times with guys that are not shoot first type players. They are also guys that pass first, but I would say basically like I can totally understand Tim Stutzla other than Kachuk is like that main dude in Ottawa. And I can totally understand. I could see the talent. That's why I was so high on him in the draft because I, and you know, and I, and I felt like, well, maybe the devils will get a shot to, uh, 
to draft him. And Shane told me at least a hundred times, he said, no, the, the senators are not going to let Stutzla fall beyond like pick four. Like it's not going to, it's not going to happen. So I have a question for, for Neil. Yeah. Where does Dawson fit behind, when a, behind a healthy, like you look at your top three, he's a center, right? Like that's his primary position. He's a center and a winger. He plays both. So is he going to stay on the wing for the most part? Or because like you look at Jack Hughes and Nico Hesha, those right. guys are your top two centers. Correct. So is it possible that Dawson Mercer slides at the wing full time? Because Ottawa's in a similar situation with Tim Stutzla. You know, we have right. Josh Norris, Shane Pinto, but we also have Ridley Gregg that doesn't get enough talk about his play style. And people said, oh, you can keep He's Stutzla. so underrated. He's honestly so underrated, that kid. I've watched him for the last three years. His play style does not fit to wing, in my opinion. I don't think Ridley Gregg's his play style fits as a center. So if you're Ottawa, Ottawa has a choice to make. If you're going to keep Tim Stutzla at center, Pinto or Gregg will be moved to bring in a caliber winger, which makes sense. Of course. Is is New Jersey more likely to keep Dawson Mercer on the wing, or will they have a one-two-three punch with Dawson Mercer on that third line or even Nico Heischer as your third line center? No, that's a that's a really good question. That's something that's been up for debate uh, within the Devils, you know, fan base for the last you know year or so. When we talk about the potential and everything like that, I would answer it kind of like this way: It number one would depend on what the Devils do moving forward. You know, just player wise, you know, whether it's guys within our system or if we go out and make more free agent moves or. Uh, trading. Remember, the Devils still have some of the most cap space in the NHL, and they're going to have that for the next several years, despite all the despite all the moves the Devils have made. I think honestly, this year is a good va- evaluation of seeing what Dawson Mercer can do as a winger, because even in the game tonight against Boston, he's playing on the wing. He's not playing in the center position. They want to see what he can do with regards to being that winger player. Um, I think the long term, Shane. Even though Dawson Mercer has top six uh, talent, I do believe that when you look at it, when the Devils become that consistent playoff team again and hopefully eventually Stanley Cup contender, I think you will see Dawson Mercer as potentially that third line center or like you mentioned before, maybe flipping Nico from one to potentially three because you're not moving Jack Hughes down to the third line. And you're certainly not going to stick him on the wing because every time the Devils have stuck him on the wing, it does not work. He is not a wing type player. He is a center. That is who he is. So I would say that it's really going to depend on what the Devils do uh, the rest of this season and then moving into next year. Um, And that would give me a better idea as to where they see him fit. But right now, I would say probably he's better on the wing. So it's been fairly civil between the two of you agreements and stuff like that. It's a little weird. So let me try to pitch a wedge in here a little bit more. Uh, Which of your teams, senators or devils are closer right now to becoming a playoff team? Neil, I'll start with you. I mean, it's, I mean, uh, I'm going to say, no, I'm going to say Ottawa, honestly. Um, And and here's why, here's why. And I'm, I'm I'm trying not to be cynical because I want to, I want people, Nick on this podcast to understand where I'm coming from as somebody who's watched this team my whole life. And it certainly has watched this team since 2012. This team has had a boatload of talent and guys that have come up with the potential to be really good. And for one reason or another, they're not able to develop into the player that we all thought. Do you guys remember the name Reed Boucher? Does that name sound familiar to any of you, to either one of you? Yeah, it does. How many goals did he score for the Sarnia Sting in his final year in juniors? 
Oh, wasn't he a 50 goaler like close to it? 56, which yeah. broke Steven Stamkos' record. Now, granted, juniors is juniors, and you know, you're playing against people for the most part your same age. But Reed Boucher came to the NHL as a guy that was picked in the middle rounds by the Devils, but he had goal scoring, you know, potential out out the wazoo. This this was a guy, this was during the Devils period where we had one of the oldest rosters and we were trying to get younger. And the he came in, and at first he was lighting the lamp up, doing very, very well. And then all of a sudden he stopped doing everything. And the team continued to play very defensive, not really trying to do everything that they possibly can. And that was really the frustrating thing. When I look at this Devils team, at least right now, and granted, we're dealing with very significant injuries right now. But when you look at where this team is, people have asked, including Shane. Shane has asked me several times on social media. He's like, why are the Devils, like, not doing the things that they should be doing with the amount of talent that they have? It's for a couple of reasons. One, quite frankly, the ownership of this team does not care. They're not trying enough to do the right thing to help this team succeed. If they did, no disrespect, Lindy Ruff wouldn't be the head coach. That's just plain and simple. We would have given extra money to LaViolette to come and be the head coach of this team. But we chose a third-slash-cheaper option because this is what this ownership group has done. Always go for the third choice, things like that. We finally have enough talent where we can look at it and say, we have the potential to be very, very good. But there's always something that stops this team. And especially over the last couple of years, it's injuries, it's freaks things that only happen to us. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And today, Nick is a prime example. Not only do we lose Dougie Hamilton long-term, but we just lost Nico Heischer, who blocked an Alexander Ovechkin shot, broke his foot, played the rest of the game, scored the game winner, and then gets diagnosed with a broken foot on his birthday. There is no other Happy team birthday. in the NHL. There is no other team in the NHL that gets that type of stuff. Oh, and then we get more players added on COVID, and for the second year in a row, our backup goalie investment goes down the tubes because Bernier is done for the year with a hip injury. And Miles Wood is probably done for the year with the exact same hip injury. So for me, here's the thing. Look at Ottawa. How much adversity I'm not I'm not cracking on Ottawa, by the way. I'm trying to make a point. How much adversity this year alone has Ottawa had to deal with in comparison to what the Devils have dealt with for the last several years, like last year, where we were rocking and rolling to start the year. Oh, 16 days off because we have a COVID outbreak. And then we go on an 11-game losing streak. Only this franchise would allow would, would have these things happen. It's not fully the players or coaches' fault. It's just the fact that you look at this team, we have way more talent, and we're not performing all the time at the level that we need to. And we can't, for the love of God, have a decent backup goaltender not completely either retire or get hurt and be out for the year to give Blackwood the support that he needs. And it's very frustrating. And so at the end of the day, I know that Nick was expecting me to just, you know, be totally biased and go devils all the way, this, that, and the other thing. But I'm being as honest with you as I could be with the team that I've been a fan of my whole life and watching this team the last seven, eight years, that the Ottawa Senators, despite having a really crappy owner in Eugene Melnick, and let's be honest, he's crappy. Not as bad as your owner by the sounds of it. No, no, because here's the thing. How many sports teams does Eugene Melnick own, Shane? Answer that question for me. Two. How many? He owns two. Do you know how many the Devils Ownership Group owns now? Six. 
We own six franchises, the Sixers, the Devils, the freaking Cleveland Guardians now. We own a soccer team in England, a soccer team in freaking Germany, and we're probably going to own several more franchises when it's all said and done. Hell, they tried to buy the Mets for God's sake. That's how much they care about our organization. That's exactly what you see. They they would be okay. Oh, yeah, no, but that's so that I just want to, I'll just say it that just the the Ottawa Senators. Yeah, I mean, it's Shane Shane cannot believe that I went down that route. He's like, I don't know. So if you look at the roster right now, I'm going to have to, like, I'm going to say New Jersey. If you look at based off their roster right now, so we went reverse. I love it. But I like Neil mentioned, you know, how much of that can you trust and whatnot? I think overall, and, and you also have to play in divisions. You know, you also have to, to compare the divisions that they're in. Yep. Look at the Metro. It's Pittsburgh, and everyone thought was going to crap the bed this year. They were going to go downhill. They were on yeah, the Yeah, sorry, Nick. I thought, I thought this was the they, year. I thought this was they, finally you know, the they year. They survived Crosby. They've survived multiple COVID outbreaks. And, you know, Malkin's expected to make his return soon. Jari has looked like a, a, a stud of a goaltender this year. So you have that. You have Washington, which, I mean, they're Washington, and you can really never doubt them, just like you should never really doubt Pittsburgh. You have the Rangers and the Islanders. You have Carolina. Yeah. You have Philly. That should be a lot better than they are. So, like, you look at the they division. Should. Shane, there, there's another team you forgot to mention that's ahead of the Devils right now, and that's Columbus, who's not True. even trying. Yeah, I mean, they have Columbus line isn't even Bro, trying. Voracek has actually been like, I think he has like one goal, but he has like 20 assists. He has like 30-some-odd points right now or something like yeah, that. Yeah, like, it, it's ridiculous. I haven't fantasy what? in like two teams. It's been the greatest pickup ever. But yeah. that's besides the point. It, like, you look at who's in that division, and, and no offense, New Jersey's in for a tough ride over the next like three, four years. We we still are. It's, it's not like it's not like you know every team in the metro is finally starting to not be that good, and we're getting good. No, it's just it's 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 and not you changing. Have Ottawa on the opposite end of it, where Montreal, who knows what the hell is going on with Montreal? They don't even know what's going on with Montreal. Montreal stinks. Period. Detroit is on the up and coming, but I mean, they've also been riding a real like Nijelkovic has looked great, but they've also been riding some really hot players in you know. Raymond has looked good, but Larkin and Bertuzzi have been a stud. Like that's been a stud oh, line. God. You know, Buffalo. Who knows what's going on with Buffalo? They've they've had a really good season this year so far. But and you know, Krebs and Tuck have looked pretty good their last couple of games yeah. they, they've played. So you know, Buffalo is one of those teams that you know again consistency issue. But the big thing is, who knows what goes on with Tampa over the next three years? You know, are they going to be able to stay competitive? You know, what happens with Headmate McDonough? They have mm-hmm. to deal. They have to figure out what's going on with Sergachev because he's coming off the and Stamkos too, right? Deal. Uh, Stamkos thing is a UFA in like two years. Hedman's a UFA in like five. Right. You have so many moving parts. You know how long can they continue being a, a force in that division? Boston has all faltered this year, and you know who knows if Bergeron's back next year. So, and then you have Toronto, and Toronto <laughs> in and about itself is in for an ass kicking over the next three offseason. Yeah. Cap's going to be very friendly to them. <laughs> you have two in two years. You have Matthews and Nylander hitting UFA. The following summer, you have uh, Marner and Tavares. You have Jack Campbell hitting the mar- expected to hit the market this offseason. and you have like what? Not even four million dollars in cap space. And you have, they have like they have like two and a half, I think. 
Yeah, but I mean, I know the cap's expected to go up a mil, so you gotta get, expect a mil bonus. But you Eight gave Morazic three point eight. So if you're if you're Campbell, I'm not accepting anything under three point eight. You know, I'm looking at like four and a half to, to five, and you look at what you know a guy like Chris Drieger got. So you know you're definitely getting more than him. Look at what Grubauer, Leonard, Varlamov, those kind of contracts. So you're looking around the five mil mark. I don't know if they can keep them. Mm-hmm. So you don't know what's going on with like half those teams in your division. Yeah. Depending on what Ottawa does this season, they could easily make the playoffs next year. You add in a scoring winger in that top six. You know, Lassie Thompson makes the jump. Sanderson makes the jump. You you bring in some more depth players. Ottawa's in a perfect position to make the playoffs as early as next season. The question is, is goaltending. Uh, that's their biggest question mark, and that's where New Jersey has over Ottawa is their starting goaltender. Blackwood over Murray, Forsberg, or even, uh, you know, Gustafson at this point. Except so, when Forsberg played the Devils and made like 50 saves and looked like the second coming of Marty Broder for some stupid reason. Hey, I mean, we could trade I was tweet. I was tweeting at you during that game. I'm like, I don't understand. Like, he's he has like a 3.8 goals against average, yet he's making every single save. And it's just like, yeah, why I not? Know. I don't know. But like, also, Ottawa's faced a lot of adversity this year. Like, two COVID outbreaks? Really? They're going to hit us with two different COVID outbreaks? If we play on Saturday, we're going to basically be out. Like we had, it's so bad that we had Drake Batherson, a player who has not played center in like five years playing center. That's because we have no center depth in the NHL. Like our our next three centers are uh, Bishop, Gaudet, and I believe uh, Kostelik and Belleville. Those are our next three centers in line with Tierney out. And Norris out. So, like, Ottawa this season has been a write-off, but next year, if they, they spend the money wisely, there's no reason for them not to make the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Well, that's all the time we have here for this interview. If you're on the podcast version, we do still have the three stars of the week coming up after this segment. But if you're on the YouTube version, that is it for the content here. I want to give these guys a second to pump their content as well. So we'll start with Shane. What do you have coming up for us on the Sends Hour? Yeah, I mean, the Sens Hour, I'm hopefully to get into it in the new year. The last couple of months have been chaotic. Um, so you can check me out at Sens Hour. You can also check me out at 13th Man Sports. We're just releasing a new episode uh, this week. But honestly, it's just trying to create more content for the Sens, like even the small things on Twitter and whatnot. Um, but yeah, give me a, sh- a follow at uh, Shane underscore uh, RY13 for all your Sens and NHL and multiple sports things. I- talk more about everything else and uh, before the sends as well. Also check me out at sends hour and underscore uh, at sends underscore hour on Twitter. Alrighty. Thank you, Shane and Neil. What do you have coming for us at the devil's state of mind podcast? All right. Well, uh, first of all, you can check us out. Devil's state of mind podcast for every listen to podcast episodes covers everything that involves the New Jersey devils. We have new episodes that come out every Monday and Thursday. We're certainly going to be talking about what's been going on the last 24 hours. Uh, I will I will definitely have an episode on that. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Devil State, Instagram at Devil State of Mind. Also, make sure to like us on Facebook as well. Also, guys, we are currently in the midst of doing a Nico Heischer autograph puck giveaway. You have until the end of January 7th uh, to enter. You have to uh, like, well, no, you have to retweet. You have to follow, make sure you follow t- uh, us on Twitter at Devil State and also tag two friends, and then I will select one lucky winner to win that autographed uh, Nico Heischer puck. Um, 
And you can also follow me on my personal Twitter at T-H-E-N-V-P-S-H-O-W and also on Instagram at N-V-P-Q-B-11. I also wanted to send a special shout out to uh, Nick and also Horvat uh, with the Tip of the Iceberg podcast for also just reaching 1,000 followers on Twitter. I just saw that earlier today. So shout out to you guys for doing that. And thank you guys also, by the way, um, for all the support on the Hockey Podcast Network YouTube channel where we do uh, – Daily Live Watch Alongs. We just did the Winter Classic, and we reached over 8,000 views for that Live Watch Along, which was absolutely phenomenal. It was a great three hours. Even uh, Nick was on there for a little bit saying hi. It's absolutely phenomenal. Loving it. We're currently actually doing a Live Watch Along as we speak uh, there, but just follow us on on uh, YouTube at THPN. New Live Watch Alongs every single day of the week covering NHL games. We were going to do some World Juniors, Winter Classic. We're going to be doing some Olympics and a lot more stuff like that. So that's uh, that's all I got is my full-on paragraph. Well, no book. No, no book. <laughs> I think New Jersey just scored. Yeah, I'm, I'm currently, in case anybody would like to know, I am watching <laughs> no the Devils does. currently as we're doing this. The Devils yeah. have just tied the game on a breakaway goal by Damon Severson. It's 3-3 three to three with 12 and a half minutes to go in the third period. So that's that's how I feel right cool. now. So I have a little bit of happiness going on right now, guys. So. There you go, man. Well, we're going to take a quick break, but when we return, we will finish it off with the Hockey Hotbed, three stars of the week. Hockey fights, lifestyle, and tales from a first-round draft bust? We have it all and more on the Hockey Podcast Network. Your home for boutique hockey content and podcasts covering every team in the NHL. Welcome back to the Hockey Hotbed, presented as always by the Hockey Podcast Network. As well as DraftKings. Make sure you use promo code THPN at the DraftKings Sportsbook app for great odds and better opportunities. I don't know if you guys all follow me on social media, but you can follow my personal account at Nick underscore Berlansky. And while I'm talking about DraftKings, I've been doing since New Year's Day a Burlow's Best Bet. Burlow was my nickname in high school. But I've been doing a best bet, one for every pro sports league. And this week, at least as of right now, Monday through Thursday, I'm on a four-game heater on the NHL, so if you're trying to make money, you can jump on the back of my hot streak right now. I'm not saying it's going to continue, but as of right now, all my bets in the NHL have been money all week long. But speaking of money, we have the Hockey Hotbed 3 Stars of the Week to get to. Before we do that, I also do want to send one last thank you to Shane Ryan of the Sens Hour and to Neil Villapiano of the Devil State of Mind podcast. I always enjoy talking to those guys. It was nice having them on at the same time, trying to stir things up a little bit, create a little division between the two of them because it's always fun to see those two go at it on a debate basis, especially when they're talking about the NHL. But let's finish things off this week as we always do with the Hockey Hotbed three stars of the week, starting with my number three star, somebody that, you know, I've given a lot of stars to this year. I don't know if it's because I want more people to give him credit or if it's because he's just been that damn good. He's fourth in the National Hockey League with 44 points as of right now. My third star of the week goes to the Florida Panthers, Jonathan Huberto. 
I mean, this guy is just an absolute stud this season. I watched the game last night between the Florida Panthers and the Dallas Stars, and late in that third period, an absolutely beautiful play by Huberto led to the tying goal with 28 seconds left. The Panthers didn't get the win, but hey, they still got a standings point, and right now, they're in a battle with the Tampa Bay Lightning for the top spot in the Atlantic Division, so every point is going to count, and Jonathan Huberto is a big reason as to why that team is so good this year. But like I mentioned, in this past week, only two goals for Huberto, but nine assists in four games played, so 11 points in four games for Jonathan Huberto, good enough. For the third star of the week, many weeks, that's good enough to be the first star. But there have been some absolutely outrageous performances that are going to trump that for our second and first stars. My second star of the week, the first time I'm mentioning this guy, I think even on the podcast. When I did previews, I think is the only time I talked about this guy, which is kind of crazy considering the fact that many people believe he is the third or fourth best player in the National Hockey League. He's just had such a down season. He's dealt with some injuries, he's dealt with COVID, as has the entire team that he plays on, but Nathan McKinnon has had such a weird season. In this past week, he's been good enough for me to to give him the second star of the week, one goal, but eight assists in three games played, so nine points in three games on a three-point-per-game pace, and the Colorado Avalanche are slowly starting to catch up to the rest of the Central Division. They have games in hand on basically everybody. I won't be surprised that if the end at the end of January, the Colorado Avalanche are once again the kings of the Central Division, sitting atop their throne that they had, well, not last season, because last season they were in the West, but last year, I mean, they won the President's Trophy. So it's crazy that they've been quietly still a really good team this year, and I think part of that is because Nathan McKinnon has quietly been putting up some pretty decent points. But now, the other thing that's weird is he only has four goals on the season. But he has 33 points. So he's tops in the league when it comes to assists, but the goal scoring just hasn't been there for Nathan McKinnon. Luckily enough for him, that team has players like Kale McCarr. We all saw what he did earlier in the week to Marc-Andre Fleury and Kirby Dock. That team has Miko Rantanen, his good finisher. They have Gabe Landeskog, who had a hat trick against the Winnipeg Jets on Thursday night. So they're finding scoring. And also, oh, I, I've talked about Nazem Kadri. He's been in my uh, hockey hotbed three stars the week before. But Nathan McKinnon quietly starting to get his act together, as is the rest of the Colorado Avalanche. And my first star, the number one star of the week, the first time that I have this guy in the three stars of the week, because this is really the first time he's produced anything significant all season. He's had a rough year, faced some injuries. If you were with me on the Hockey Podcast Network YouTube channel last night, the live stream of the Penguins versus the Philadelphia Flyers, first of all, thank you, and make sure you subscribe to the Hockey Podcast Network YouTube channel for more great watch-alongs like that every single night. And secondly, you heard me basically give this away. My first star of the week, the Pittsburgh Penguins, Brian Rust. There's not many weeks this season that have been better than this. This is probably the best week any player has had in the National Hockey League all year long. In three games played, Brian Rust has scored seven goals and notched 11 points. This is a guy that had two goals coming into this week, and now his total is at nine. All of a sudden, he's back on a 20-25 to goal pace after being on basically 
like a 10-goal pace. So seven goals in three games, including a hat trick on Sunday against the San Jose Sharks. He had two early goals against the Flyers, almost not at a hat trick there as well because he hit one off the crossbar later in the game, but an absolutely outstanding performance this week from the Pittsburgh Penguins' Brian Rust. And really, the Penguins won 10 straight. I did my power rankings on Monday. I didn't have the Penguins in there. They were an honorable mention, but they're slowly creeping up the standings and they're getting and right now they're the hottest team in the National Hockey League. They have the longest win streak in the National Hockey League that started back on December 4th. So all signs are pointing to positivity for the Pittsburgh Penguins and Brian Rust is a key part in that seven goals, 11 points in just three games played and the first star of the week for the hockey hotbed. So to run down through it one last time, Jonathan Huberto from the Florida Panthers is my third star. Nathan McKinnon from the Colorado Avalanche. Sits is my second star, and the first star of the week is Brian Rust of the Pittsburgh Penguins. But that's going to do it for this episode of the Hockey Hotbed. Thank you so much for tuning in. Again, one last thank you to Shane and Neil for joining the show. I hope everybody enjoyed that interview. We have more interviews to come as 2022 rolls along here. We're closing the book on week number one, but there's plenty more to come in the next 51 weeks of this calendar year. We'll see you guys next week. Have a great weekend, hockey fans.